first Sunday of December. Are you excited for the rest of 2020? I am. Amen. Amen. Sister Paula, it is good to have you back with us. lady back here. I believe she's been here before. Look for me. No? First time guest? Welcome. Amen. All right. And if uh, this is your first time here, we do welcome you. And we're just uh, a group of Jesus believing Christians Come on. that he has rescued and uh, we are going through the transformation process amen through the new birth experience and we believe Jesus is coming back hallelujah as they were singing that that song that chorus if you can use anything anyone you can use them and and I was thinking just a little bit about that and just a, a word of encouragement to you. Come on. Sister Kathleen and I have not always been who we are today, of course. And, sure. and uh, I come from a welfare family. I come from a life, eight years of drugs and alcohol. Sister Kathleen comes from a broken home. In fact, this is the way, and I know she doesn't mind me sharing this, and this is the, the life uh, that her mother finally separated from her biological father and, and uh, because of his alcohol abuse. And here's how bad her father's addiction was to alcohol. At our wedding, we went and visited uh, her father. Her mother and father were separated, and and uh, I introduced myself, and uh, we told him how, what an honor it would be if, you know, looking forward to our wedding, his only daughter, him walking, his daughter down the aisle. The only thing we asked of him that he would be sober. He did not show up. So, you put your hands in the hands of God. You put your life into the hands of God. And you trust Him. And you believe that you are important and valuable to Him. And if you commit your life to Him, He will... Do things in your life that you would never dream of happening. Don't don't sell yourself short. Not when it comes to God. Open that opportunity for Him to be God in your life. Because as, because as, as mere mortals, we can accomplish something. But with God in your life, then the impossible becomes possible. So don't exclude Him. Amen. All right, we're going to uh, call your attention just one verse here this morning. John 3 and uh, verse number 30. And it is, it is really nice to look back there and see Ryan and Janelle. My goodness. Amen, amen, amen. Alright, John 3.30 simply reads like this. He must increase. But I must decrease. Amen, and uh, that's uh, what I'm going to speak on this morning. Simply, he must, he must increase. He's got to be greater. Amen. And I'm going to ask Brother McCune if he would pray, and uh, as you open up your hearts this morning, and let's uh, 
Amen. Let's open our hearts to the voice of God here. Would you do that for us, Brother McKeown, if you would be so kind? Well, Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your love and mercies and you extend it to us. Cool. It's time, Lord, to hear your word. And we're asking that you let us grow your master mightily with the wisdom that you would give. That we might receive from you what we need today, for we are a needy people. And we need your guidance and we need your wisdom. And your mighty blessings. We ask God that you would touch every life that we might leave here today much increased in your word and in your will. Yes. Yes, Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When you and I say these words with sincerity, all right, they're powerful. Powerful when you when you really express those words from your heart. But when you and I say these words, they're nothing like the power and the anointing that can only come from the voice crying in the wilderness. Alright? Understand John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. See, because John's entire purpose in life, from the moment, from the moment of his conception, his entire purpose in life was for that moment, that brief few years of ministry. He was born for that moment. He had been preparing himself for 30 years. Anybody almost 30? Imagine if you had been preparing your whole life and number 30 was about ready to come and you knew what your mission was, you knew what your purpose was, I think you would be a little bit on fire. And he had he'd been preparing for that for 30 years. He had to get it right. In fact, we could say that this his mission in life was to find the Messiah and point Him out and identify Him because He was the one and that was His mission in life. Nobody else could do it. John had sacrificed all the nice things in life. He has no wife. He has no children. None of the Gospel writers even tells us he has a trade. In fact, they describe John as one who wears clothes made from camel skins. And uh, his diet, he eats locusts. How many of you like locusts? He eats locusts and wild honey. You know, you, put a little, you get a nice big locust, put a little honey on it, down the hatch. Crunchy peanut butter. And they describe him in that manner. And when he walks up to the pulpit, he is wearing the same style of clothes that Elijah wore. And he has the same spirit as Elijah. Are you with me? He's on a mission. He's looking for the Messiah. Let me give you a little bit of pre-ministry history of John, if you will. Luke 1 tells us his conception was announced by Gabriel himself. Gabriel. The one that we, one of the only two that we hear so much about. In fact, the prophecy of Gabriel would be the first spoken word from heaven in 400 years. 400 years had passed since they heard the voice of the prophet. The people were hungry for God. They were hungry to hear that old preaching 
of one of the Old Testament prophets like, like Elijah or Elisha or Jeremiah. They were hungry. John would be the last Old Testament prophet. And he would be coming in the spirit of Elijah. Verse 41 tells us that John's mother Elizabeth became pregnant. When she became pregnant, she was an old lady. We don't know how old. But the Bible says she hid herself five months. And then she went to visit her cousin Mary, the soon-to-be mother of Jesus. There's six months separation here between their conception. Upon arrival, Elizabeth finds out that her cousin Mary has also had a visit from the same angel Gabriel, and she also was with child, but hers is a little bit more exceptional. Luke one thirty six tells us there's a six month difference between Mary and Elizabeth with the announcement that they are going to be with child. Which means John and Jesus are separated in age by somewhere around six months. But watch what happens when Elizabeth hears Mary's story. Elizabeth goes to visit Mary, hiding out for five months because of Who's going to believe all of the things that are going on? And But Elizabeth hears Mary's story in verse 1. And when she hears Mary's story, the Bible says that John leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Leap here means to skip or jump for joy. Don't ask me how it happens, right? But the Bible says that when John the forerunner, whose mission was to identify the Messiah later on, when he heard that Mary was, gonna, was going to give birth to the one, that he jumped and did some skip ropes inside, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Gabriel tells John's father Zacharias in Luke 1.15 that his son would be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. I wonder if mom and child were both filled with the Holy Ghost at the same time because he leaped for joy. So now mother and son are filled with the Holy Ghost before John's even born. Listen to what John's dad has to say about him. Remember, Zechariah has been unable to speak during the ninth month pregnancy because he had a little bit of doubt creep in. And upon the birth of his new son, he told everyone, name him John. When he said, name him John, verse 64 says that Zechariah's mouth was opened immediately and he praised God. Verse 67 says, and Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and began to prophesy. Now you got mom filled with the Holy Ghost. You got dad filled with the Holy Ghost. You got the baby filled with the Holy Ghost even before he's born. It's the only place I find in Scripture where you got an entire family in the Old Testament that is filled with the Holy Ghost and something is about to happen. Zacharias filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible said he begins to prophesy and he says, Oh, he says that the child shall be called the prophet of the highest and prepare the way of the Lord and he will give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. 
you got one of the here, one of the most powerful stories in the entire Bible in the Old Testament before John's born, before Jesus is born. You got an old man, you got an old woman who have been faithful to God, receives a visit by Gabriel, announcing they're going to give birth to the voice crying in the wilderness, and all three of them are filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, now that don't happen in the Old Testament. Men are moved on and the Holy Ghost comes upon them. But the Bible, it is absolutely explicit. It says all three of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. Luke 142, Elizabeth cries out in a loud voice when she hears that Mary's... uh, when she hears Mary's pregnant, she says, Mary, you are blessed because you believe, for there shall be a performance of the things which the Lord told her. Then we find, verse 80, tells us John was in the desert until the day of His showing unto Israel. In fact, Mark 1 and 1, listen, Mark 1 and 1 says, It tells us the beginning of the Gospel or the good news of Jesus is the voice of John crying in the wilderness. How would you like to have been the one chosen to kick off the main event? The Bible says that was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Was John crying out in the wilderness? He was kicking off. Now, let me, let me give you a Scripture. I won't read them all, but it's important you get this. Luke 1.80 tells us John lived in the wilderness until he began to preach. I always somewhat had a question as to the relationship of Jesus and John. During the time, there's 30 years there, folks. Because the Bible tells us both John and Jesus entered the ministry at 30 years of age. That was the game plan. But it appears that Jesus lived in Nazareth. John probably, they say, lived in Hebron, which were about 100 miles apart. And because we are told He was the voice crying in the wilderness, there is speculation that John was actually raised by a group of Jewish believers called the Essenes, if I get that right, who this group separated themselves from the city life. They lived lives of celibacy, dedicating their lives to prayer, fasting, and study of the Scriptures. John was on a mission. John needed to get it right. He needed guidance from... He, listen, he needed to get it right. It was his one thing in life that he had been born into. During the time that Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests, the Word of God came unto John in the wilderness. The Word of God began to move in John. He came into all the country, the Bible says, around Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Oh, big deal? Well, one writer, Dwight Moody, you may have heard of him, in one of his commentaries, he writes, he believes there could have been up to 20,000 people at times coming out to hear John preach. you got to understand, they were hungry to hear the Word of God. The Word of God had not come for 400 years. You had a man that had been prophesied over. You had a man that had disappeared. He had been preparing himself. And when he came preaching on the scene, God was all over him. The Holy Ghost was inside of him. In fact, the power of John's preaching got to the point it shook up the city of Jerusalem. John 1.19 tells us the Jews sent priests and Levites to him from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He said, They said, 
Are you the Messiah? You understand? He, his preaching was so powerful that he shook Jerusalem to its core and the religious body sent out Levites and priests because they were hearing rumors that this might be the Messiah. He shook them to the core. He had to tell them point blank when they come. They came and they asked Him. He had to tell them point blank. He had to tell them, No sir, I am not the Messiah. No sir, I am not Moses. No sir, I am not Elijah. He said, I'm just the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Matthew records that Jerusalem and all Judea and all the country round about Jordan came out to hear John preach. He was, he was moving those people that you got to understand. This man's mission in life was to find the Messiah, but before he found him, he was going to prepare the hearts of the people through the act of repentance and baptism. He was on a mission. And Jerusalem, Judea, all over the country, literally they say by the tens of thousands. How powerful was John's message? It was so powerful that in Matthew 3 and 7, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come to Him and they want to be baptized. John says, I won't tell you his whole message, but he said, listen carefully. He says, you need to bring forth fruit that is consistent with repentance. In other words, he's saying, you need to let your lives prove your change of heart. That's what repentance is. And he called them a couple of you know, unkindly names. Bible says, and when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized by John, praying to heaven. And as Jesus was baptized and He prayed, Bible says heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon Him. A voice came from heaven which said, Thou art My beloved Son, and Thee I am well pleased. John 1.29 The next day John sees Jesus coming unto Him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He says, This is He of whom I said... After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. Listen carefully. He goes on to say, And I knew him not. In other words, you see, God's intent was to keep John separated from Jesus until the moment that he was going to come into the, the ministry and he was going to be able to identify him, not per a, uh, a family relation. No, sir. John, the identity of Jesus Christ came to John through divine revelation when Jesus was baptized. And John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode on Him. He said, I knew Him not, but He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, the same is He which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. John knew Him by divine revelation. It didn't come from man. It came from God above. 
And he said, I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. The next day, John, as he saw Jesus walking, he preached, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And it's here that we get the idea. John immediately goes away and he's beheaded and his ministry is done. But according to what I've been able to come up with, both John and Jesus' ministries overlap for possibly up to one year and maybe even longer. Yeah, wow. Yeah, wow. Which would mean that you have the two greatest preachers of all time turning the world upside down with a new message of hope, a message of salvation. John telling the world that He is not the Messiah, but Jesus telling the world that He is the Messiah. And that Jesus said, I have come into the world to destroy the works of the devil and to seek and to save that which was lost. John is the preacher. Jesus is the miracle working minister, if you will. Can you imagine that? both of them? They say maybe longer than one year. But can you imagine both those men on earth at the same time preaching a message of hope and of salvation that was brand new to a people who had not heard from God in 400 years. And so while John was bringing people to repentance, Jesus was turning water into wine. He was healing the nobleman's son. He was healing the demon-possessed man. He was healing the leper. He was healing the man that was paralyzed. Those are the things that He did in His first year of ministry. John was baptizing them still. Jesus was doing what only He could do. And John tells them, I must decrease. He must increase. Wow. John is thrown into jail. Sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you Him? Or do we look for another? Listen carefully. Matthew 11.4 Jesus answered John's disciples. He says, you go tell John the things which you hear, the things which you see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the Gospel preached to them. Remember when we spoke about both their ministries going on at the same time? We can't even fathom it. You can't get your brain around it. They are literally turning the world upside down. Matthew 14 tells us John is killed by Herod because he preached to him of his sin, but not before Herod speaks these words. Listen carefully. At that time, Herod the king heard reports about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. You understand? That man's his ministry, his preaching, the anointing, his preparation for 30 years was so powerful that he had the king that was about ready to take his head off of him. That king thought that he was possibly, that Jesus was John the Baptist, possibly come back from the dead. 
The king believed it. And when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, He leaves Nazareth to go into the city of Capernaum and there He really gets stabilized. And that becomes His preaching point. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He doesn't change John's message of repentance. He simply brings it to the present when He tells them the kingdom is near or the kingdom is right here, right now. John says you need to repent because He's coming. Jesus says you need to repent because I'm here. He doesn't change John's message. The message is always going to be about repentance. He doesn't change it. He just he just adds to it. He throws it out there and he tells them that that it's now. He's with them right then and there. No, I didn't fall. Okay. I need to start taking that thing off, right? Because yeah. I get a little wound up and it thinks I fell. <laughs> yeah. It wants us to call 911. Do you have an Apple Watch? Have you ever done that, right? Yeah. It happens once or twice when I preach. <laughs> oh, listen to me. He doesn't change. He doesn't change John's message. Come on. No, sir. The message from beginning to the end of time will always be first and foremost. It will always be the pathway of repentance that will lead you to the Messiah. That will lead you to salvation. It always will. And always will be. He adds to the foundation that John has laid you see, Jesus don't have John, don't worry about Jesus increasing, okay? Jesus is on the increase, trust me. He's not just preaching about the one to come. He's telling people he is the one that has come, and he is proving his preaching by performing miracles which are a fulfillment of prophecy. And Jesus tells everyone, there has been no greater prophet than John. He stops after John, he hears John's beheaded. He says, there's never been anyone greater. In other words, he is on the same level as all of those great ones. Whether I, I believe there's a little addition there for him, mind you, but... I don't know, Elijah, I kind of like Elijah. I kind of like Enoch, you know. They, I kind of like Moses. God came down, buried Moses, apparently raised him back from the dead. I like Enoch Wedge, those three guys. But Jesus said, there had been no greater. No greater. You see, we don't quite get the... What John really... You understand? He dedicated, okay, his first, just like Jesus, the first 30 years were in preparation for a very short two or three years of ministry. There is a power and an anointing of the Holy Ghost that comes along with your willingness to give up some things in order to proclaim the most important thing that you can possibly get a hold of this morning. You and I, we are still forerunners. We are proclaimers of this message. It is always going to be the same. You need to get ready because Jesus, He is coming for the second time and you don't want to be left here.
Jesus says there's no there's not been anybody greater. But he doesn't stop there. Listen carefully. Matthew 11th chapter is filled with the story of John the Baptist. But Matthew 11, 11, that's a good one to easy one to remember. Jesus goes on to say, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. What? You see, how can Jesus make such a statement? Because our message and our experience of the New Testament church is a greater message. It's not the messenger. It's the message. Oh, yes. See, John's message really was three areas. Repent, get baptized, show fruit worthy of repentance. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Number three, He must increase. How? How do we increase? You and I really don't. Now, listen, I could go a different direction and I could give you all kinds of scriptures, primarily the Apostle Paul talking about that I don't want to know anything but Christ and Him crucified. I am crucified to the world. I have counted everything but trashy dung. But I'm not going there. I'm here to tell you that gee, this church is on the increase by pure definition of the church and the numbers that have been born, the people, the souls that have been born into the kingdom of God since that date. I'm here to tell you that there, just in America alone, there are approximately 200 million little John the Baptists running around, only they're Holy Ghost filled, only they got the whole message. They don't have just the message of repentance. John wasn't around to see Calvary, John wasn't around to witness the resurrection, and John wasn't around to see the birthday of the church. But we, my friend, we have the complete message. It's not just repentance, it is about baptism in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And it's about the gift of God which is the Holy Ghost in you. John spent 29 years studying that law and the prophets. Why? Because there he was not there was not a chance that he was going to one moment to get it wrong can i tell you today that there is not an ounce of doubt in my mind when it comes to the message of the new birth, the message that you must have in your life, that you must personally experience in your life in order for you to be saved. It will always be Acts 2.38 and 2.39. God does not change. It's the message. We got the entire New Testament. The kingdom of God is increasing every day. God is on the increase. God is moving through people like you and me. He's got millions. Listen to me. He has millions of His church filled with the Holy Ghost and has the message of God. And they can point Him out and say, Behold, Jesus! He is the Lamb of God! Hallelujah. 
John dies prior to Calvary, I can tell you that John would have been there. He dies before Calvary. He dies before the resurrection. He dies before the ascension. He dies before he has a chance to hear Peter's first message to New Testament believers. But Peter got it right because of mainly of John's foundation and then to Jesus. But Peter got it right when he stood up and those people were convicted in their hearts of their sins. They said, what must I do? What do I have to do in this world that has gone bonkers? Give me some peace. Give me some joy. Tell me about Jesus one more time. Is He for real? Does He really do the things that the Word of God says that He does? And Peter stands up. John's not there that day, but Peter begins his message to that first that first day church that is to be born. He says, repent. Peter is now adding to that foundation that both John and Jesus that they built it and Peter's about ready to increase this thing and the Bible tells us at the end of the day there are 3,000 people that have been born of the water and of the Spirit. They turned their world upside down in a hundred years. This same Jesus, this same Jesus, blah, blah, this same Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. There is no government going to stand in His way. There is no man. There is no devil. There is no evil force that will prevent Him from making His grand appearance for the church in the last days. He is coming again. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled before during the last few months of His life. He told the disciples, and we're closing, Brother Brian. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm telling you what I'm going to do when I ascend back into glory. He says, I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. He spent 30 years of his life preparing for his ministry. He spent six days building the universe. You figure it. You figure it. Do the math. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself that where I am there you may be also. John 14, 12, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in Me, hold on, the works... Remember, Jesus said, John, He who is least in the kingdom of God, your message is going to set the world on fire because I am the message. And here He says, He says, most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works that I do, the works that I do, Jesus proclaims, He will do also. And 
and greater works. Thank you for the course earlier. And greater works than these He will do because I go to my Father. Let me read again the words of John the Baptist. He said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears Him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase. I must decrease. The joy of the best man at the wedding. Hallelujah. Not a more honorable position that you could be asked to do. Best man. And and you are you, you better be, right? Yeah. Supposed to be, right? Even if they do get divorced in two weeks. At least you had your moment, right? Just kidding. <laughs> but the the position of the friend of the bridegroom. He's just standing there because he has been asked by his friend, by the bridegroom himself, to be a witness to the most special day in his entire life. Brian, I remember going to your wedding. I think you had a best man. Just kidding. But John, but listen, but John goes on to say, he says, and I stood by the Lord. I stood by the Messiah. And I pointed Him out. And I was privileged to hear His voice. And the joy in my life was fulfilled because I knew I had done what I was supposed to do. Oh, the joy of the best man at the wedding. But imagine this, if you would, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Paul writes and he says, I have espoused you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You know what happens when you take on His name? Amen. Do you know what happens to the stain of sin in your life? When you are baptized and you take on the name of Jesus Christ in water baptism, your clothing, you are like Joshua, that high priest in the book of the Old Testament where the accuser of the brethren stands before God and he says, he is not fit to be a high priest. Jesus says, it's okay. He says, I got a plan. Change his clothes. I don't think we really get it yet when we're baptized, folks. I don't think we really get the power of the atoning blood that washes you and cleanses you as if that was the first day of your new life. Which it is. Sister Smith speaking this morning, talking a little bit about forgiveness. Here's the difference in God's forgiveness and your forgiveness and mine. We forgive, but we can't forget. God forgives. And He casts it into the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from west. As if, as if, he does, he does not even remember it. That's forgiveness. And I, John, not the Baptist, but John the Revelator, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Hey, John, you stood by Jesus as a friend of the bridegroom. 
I stand here this morning as part of his bride. You can't even go there, can you? You can't even get that. I stand here as you stand with us this morning. I stand here not as a friend of the bridegroom, but I stand here virtue of the new birth by the power of the name of Jesus. I stand here engaged. And waiting for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yes. Yes. We're the bride. He's the bridegroom. And that's why he must increase. Wherever you're at today, whatever your message is today, it needs to increase. Your message of Him needs to increase. Add a little bit to it. Add a little bit. Raise it one degree. Put a little salt on it. Do something. Raise it. Raise it just a hair if you would. Because there are about 200 million of us just here in America. Alright? That the world is going to go absolutely bonkers one of these days when they see Him coming in His glory with ten thousands and thousands and thousands of us galloping on our white horses. We're going to open the front here today if you're a guest here today and you need... Uh, if you desire more information on repentance and, and baptism, we're here to answer your questions today. If you need a miracle today, I want you to know that through the, the vehicle of the Holy Ghost operating within us, that miracles are here today waiting for you. Whatever you need today, that Jesus Christ is here, embodied in the church. We are the body. Of Jesus, would you come today? If you're coming to the altar, we ask it. If if you would, if you would wear a mask, that's the only time we really ask you to put one on. If you're coming to the altar, where we're close proximity, but I, I challenge you today. I challenge you today. Get a hold of this thing. You are, you are. Oh, I, I, I can't even tell you how valuable you are in the kingdom of God. God bless you.